Hello everybody, FPL teacher here doing a little bit of homework in the lead up to Crystal Palace's FPL report card. We look at the first of their three matches that we have yet to catch up on, their 1-0 loss against Manchester City. All things considered, the 1-0 loss here was something to behold as Crystal Palace played a slight nuance to their strategy, their usual setup that surprised City somewhat owing to a penalty and we will look at everything good Crystal Palace did and what they brought forward to their next few matches. Crystal Palace, as part of the set of teams that are outside the top 6 playing against Manchester City, we shall definitely talk about their transitions rather than their defensive setup against the reigning champions. What happened here was that Crystal Palace's setup employed an unusually aggressive strategy at least on the flanks as they targeted City's wingers intentionally while squeezing the space that, the, that was afforded to the Man City midfielders. So without eating too much into City's section, we will look at the merits of Palace's setup. Number one, the direct dual confrontations between fullback and winger allowed at least for City to be pushed back and that the effectiveness of this approach really came after the half-hour mark where the likes of Grealish and Gundogan in particular on the left half space were pushed back into the attacking midfield's area of control. This was where the likes of Schlup as well as Ayu exerted their greatest influence basically nipping the ball off this pressure and starting counter-attacks. Now, this was all well and good so long as City ventured down the defensive midfield slash winger space. However, City did have majority of the ball in the attacking midfield space and this was where things went slightly awry for Crystal Palace. The central midfield pairing basically consisted of the more aggressive Milivojevic while Sambilo Konga swept up the space behind him. So in their 4-4-2 setup, basically what happened was that Milivojevic, just as Will Hughes did previously, sprung pressing traps onto any of City's deep midfielders or fullbacks that advanced into that area. Once again, the half-hour mark was when Palace flipped from their initial passive phase into their more active phase. So between the first and the 30th minute, really all these through balls were being played behind Milivojevic's space where the likes of Gundogan as well as Bernardo Silva eventually thrived. So now we fast forward to the period of City's greatest influence when they had Julian Alvarez as well as Kevin De Bruyne on the pitch. The key difference here was that Bernardo Silva shifted to the right wing, something that we've not seen since the Arsenal game, and this pulled City's centre-backs extremely wide. Now, this of course enabled the likes of Julian Alvarez to take shots, filling in that very space when Kevin De Bruyne or Bernardo Silva had provided their usual cutbacks from the right half space. So for FPL purposes, the diagnosis is relatively straightforward. Olise and Zaha remain the most sought after when Jeffrey Schlup wins the ball in midfield. Meanwhile, attacking Palace is a much more efficient strategy in terms of FPL, where the right half space Palace's left, the space behind Milivojevic remains a gaping hole that takes time to be adapted to. Alvarez folded right before he, brought, he was brought off and Bernardo Silva did the damage here but we will see in later games how the likes of Brighton and Arsenal took advantage as well.
Manchester City. The lonesome game they had right before the international break saw them play their usual 4-2-3-1 system that transitioned into a 3-2-5. As usual, Rodri was joined by one of the, no sorry, both of the fullbacks where Ake drifted in from left back while John Stones was the one who drifted in from the right side. A key component missing, of course, was Kevin De Bruyne, as mentioned earlier. The playmaker was rested for in favour of Gundogan on the left half space, Bernardo Silva on the right half space, while the likes of Grealish and Foden held width. Now, a habit of Manchester City's would be testing the waters in terms of the direct duels they faced, depending on matchup. Jack Grealish had a field day largely in the opening 15 minutes as he was tracked rather aggressively by Klein all the way in the midfield while Mitchell was slightly more conservative but Foden was still tracked as he moved in field. Nevertheless, the pair won their duels initially creating rather big chances but really after the opening spell of 15 minutes Palace adapted relatively well and City struggled even though they had Gundogan and Bernardo Silva in fantastic clinical positions they failed to take advantage until some of their deeper midfielders ventured into the final third. Now, as usual, when the going gets tough, Rodri steps up. The tall midfielder usually ventures forward into the penalty area multiple times, but this time round, he did not have Kevin De Bruyne planting the ball firmly on his head. So at times, he would be marked by Milivojevic in that zone, and sometimes he would actually lose the ball, triggering a few palace attacks. So this was the first time in a long while we saw City execute their Plan C. While City's wingers usually have the orthodox role of holding wits, we rarely see someone other than their half-space operators overloading the left and right half-spaces. In this particular case, one of the fullbacks would eventually venture into the penalty area as Nathan Ake created Erling Haaland's biggest chance in the first half. Nevertheless, this was a rather laborious approach that led to multiple city corners as well as further set pieces, but really this suited Palace's advantage. So in the second half, Guardiola basically took off his entire right side just to shift different personnel to overload that usual favorite right hand side. Now we've seen multiple times that Alvarez in the side usually would be introduced to operate as a half space number 10. Instead of being a target for shots, he would usually play the ball out wide for the wingers to create bigger chances for their teammates. In this particular case, Alvarez had so much space whenever being played in by Bernardo Silva that he had to take multiple shots himself. And this unfortunately was a testament to how quickly Palace reacted to this danger. I covered several podcasts ago where sides like Bournemouth basically failed to convert momentum into wins and the unfortunate case for champions, reigning champions such as Manchester City would be how they have a variety of ways to sustain momentum enough in order to earn penalties that are usually, safe to say, dodgy. In this particular case, they took advantage of the diligence of one of Palace's wingers tracking back from a short corner. So... The way things went, any other day, Crystal Palace could have easily earned the draw. And as Game State would have it, immediately after the goal, Kevin De Bruyne came on for Bernardo Silva, offering a counter-attacking threat that stunted Palace's comeback. 
So the biggest lesson here really comes down to how City right now are not exactly in the form of their lives blowing teams away but with two successive clean sheets now against Bright against Palace as well as Newcastle City safely can be said to close games out in a relatively orthodox manner. The final quarter of the season commences pretty much shortly after this game and it now can be easily said that the relegation threatened sides will start to grind out performances deserving of at least a point while sides that are chasing a particularly objective such as Europe or a championship title will now find ways to somehow grind out wins and Manchester City probably has shown their hand in this particular case going for orthodox 1 or 2 nil wins rather than blowing teams away. This is FPL Teacher who will continue with Crystal Palace's review this time with their next loss against Brighton.